0: guy here You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on... On Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What's tapping in, people? It's Tuesday. I think today's like the 21st of March, a so month going by like that, Dan Nathan. You're looking good. The Johnny Cash outfit uh, suits you well. Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, facts at financial data and analytics that are, in fact, powered by tomorrow, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. We'll throw 30 minutes on the clock. We look forward to your comments in the comments section. How are you, Dan?
1: I'm doing okay. You know, I love it when you mentioned the Johnny Cash thing. The days that you usually do that are days that I'm actually wearing all blue, not all oh. black. And, and I think some people would know this. I think, I know Amanda knows this, is that I have, little, just say. I have a little bit of a uniform. So, I, and Steven obviously knows this here. So, I have literally three of the same blue collared shirt that I wear mm-hmm. right here. That's what I'm wearing right now. That match with like three kind of blue jeans that they're the same kind that I have. Okay. Then I also have same cut of the shirt. I have it in black three times and I have it in dark gray three uh-huh. times and then I also have the same jeans three times. So I just kind of do the blues, the grays, the blacks, all that sort of thing. So you always nail, you don't nail, actually, you don't nail the Johnny Cash thing. You
0: always say it when I'm wearing blue. Maybe I have, it's sometimes it's tough to differentiate yeah. between shades of blue and black. I will say this, though, for those that are playing our home game. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Maddow yeah. of MSNBC, she wears the same outfit each night on the television and I think Russell Crowe and it's a beautiful mind. So he didn't have to think about certain things. So maybe... You know, I, I put those people in sort of the upper yeah. echelon of intelligence, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a int- sign of a higher yeah, intellect.
1: You're, throw, you're throwing me in there, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, okay, let's talk about this thing here. We have a raging... markets. Well, you know what's funny, guy? You and I had an on the tape podcast we did with Liz Young. You call her what is she? Uh, well, I L-Y? call her
0: EY from SoFi, and the funny thing is now, um, more and more people are starting to call her that. You know, that's I bad. I give people that's these bad. monikers. Yeah, and they stick, and well, you, you've you know never it given becomes a moniker. I've never gotten a moniker. Well, you're, I've you're never Dan. gotten a moniker. Yeah. Well, it's you're you're just you know you're Dan. I mean, you just take that and run with it.
1: Alright, I'm Dan. Alright, so so we had her on yesterday. We were talking on the tape and, you know, I, I said to you, I said, listen, I got back. I was gone last, uh, you know, for a week or so. Mm-hmm. I got back Thursday night and the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to lay into the NASDAQ and I wanted to lay into the XLF, okay? And and so I did do that, okay? And so listen, I'm just going to tell you this, people. There is nowhere to hide for us, okay? We do on the tape Monday and Fridays. We do market call Monday through Thursday. We even did one last Friday. You and I are doing CNBC Fast. But there's nowhere to hide i mean everything's time stamped everything that we say okay so like i'm here i'm here to say i'm wrong for a couple days what did i say to you yesterday i said i almost want to feel a bit more pain into Wednesday's Fed meeting because I really feel there's no good outcomes for stocks. Because if you are buying stocks here, because you're looking at the CME Fed Watch tracker, right, and mm-hmm. you see what's happened as far as expectations for where Fed funds is going to top out and where we're going to start getting rate cuts at the end of this year and how that's changing, you think that's good for stocks given the backdrop of what's going on versus the increased likelihood that we are going to have an economic malaise, maybe a soft to hard landing, I don't know what you're buying here, guy. I honestly don't know what you are buying here if you're buying the stock market based on that.
0: Well, I think, you know, your people, I listen, I'm, I'm with you, obviously, and just not to play devil's advocate, but just trying to understand, God. let's just try to understand what's going on here. You know, in terms of these technology, these high growth, high valuation names, people have seen rates come down in a precipitous way. And now there's this anticipation of a Fed rate cut, which is mind boggling. And then again, they're front running it, which to a certain extent, I can understand. I mean, people have been rewarded for that literally for years for doing the same thing. Now, I would submit we're in a completely different environment now. And, you know, be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. And I've said a number of times, if the Fed is, in fact, cutting at the back half of this year, trust me when I tell you, it ain't because good things are happening. And I'll say this, I was surprised. Nobody except Danny Moses and Vinnie Daniel and uh, Jim Chanos and Porter Collins anticipated the the precipitous demise of a name like Silicon Valley Bank. I don't think in their wildest notions in the work they did, they thought it was go as pear-shaped as it did. But I bring that up because something broke. And in this case, what broke was obviously these banks. Now, to think that that's over in any meaningful way, I think that's a bit of folly. I also think the market's taking some refuge or – some solace in the fact that QT for the for the next foreseeable future appears to be over. I mean, we saw that obviously last week when the Fed sort of opened the floodgates for yeah. people to come in and withdraw from their coffers, I guess I should say for lack of a better word. So, I see what's going on. We've drawn the charts here. E Nasdaq minis traded on the CME, we're in this pennant formation. As I've said 100 times on this show, this chart looks better than the S&P chart. Why? Because we actually traded down to the 200-day moving average and bounced. 200-day moving average is obviously flattening out. I mean, this is an encouraging chart. The question is, uh, are we setting up for another epic failure or does it blow through the upside? I don't know the answer. Maybe let the charts be your guide. Um, But if I had a bet on it this second, I think we fail.
1: You know, it's interesting, and this this is a great thing to kind of tease out here because if these guys can pull up the Apple chart, um, you know, this Apple chart looks fantastic. I mean, if you're just looking at technicals and you're looking at devoid of the kind of, you know, broader kind of macro themes and and, and kind of what I think is going to happen as far as S&P earnings. I mean, just look at that. I mean, you, you look at that resistance right there at 158, 159, whatever it is that's going back mm-hmm. to um, the fall here, and it really does look like a and shoulders sort of bottom and so sometimes you just have to kind of weigh some of your kind of broader macro thesis you have to weigh you know like again some people i know don't even look at charts so 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 this picture to them doesn't mean anything they're only focused on fundamentals or or that sort of thing good looking chart you throw that nasdaq futures chart back up there and you see that it kind of held that 200 day uh moving average it bounced off of that little bit of an uptrend if you see that from the january lows and now it's about to make a, a new high um if it is to break out above that downtrend. So I see all of that. I'm still short the NASDAQ. Um, You know, if you're thinking about... Um, using a stop maybe it's some there uh, something around thirteen thousand or so guy in those futures there mm-hmm. a little bit if you're looking that's right for the short side here um the one thing i'll say is that um the, this flight to nasdaq stocks last week when interest rates came in very hard if the fed remains kind of hawkish tomorrow right we might see a lot of that undone i think that's the trade that i have on a little bit um you know i did do a tweet thread um the other day and talking about how i will often use to like to find my risk through um, short dated puts in the situation in the QQQ, and then sometimes I'll use like a levered ETF on a short term basis to get a little juice on that sort of thing. But listen, man, you know I'll cut my losses in the in the puts, and and I'll cut my losses in the ETF if there's a meaningful breakout.
0: There was a movie in the 1970s with Paul Sorvino, the late Paul Sorvino, who by the way was snubbed by the Academy Awards a couple Sundays ago when they did not uh, mention him in the in-memoriam section. Of course, James Caan in this movie as well. And James Caan was a um, degenerate gambler, and he talked about juice all the time. And Paul Sorvino said to him, I don't know about this juice, but I hope you have a lot of it for you uh, trivia buffs out there, Dan. But let I me mean, just say this real quick, just to sort of um, amplify your response about the Fed. You know, the Fed broke something um but they've sort of shored up that portion of the dam, right? They fixed that in the form of backstopping these deposits. That was the problem, right? I mean, the banks were concerned that depositors were going to flee. Okay, they fixed that problem. So if that problem is fixed, as they've said it now is fixed, my sense is why should they stop raising rates on the course that they were pretty much steadfast on two or three weeks ago before any of this stuff ever happened? So that's the counter- To your counter, I guess. I mean, if I'm in their seat, the real problem is still out there. They broke something and they fixed it and they seemingly have rectified that part of the equation. They should continue to move forth with combating inflation. That's just me. I'm obviously not a Fed official, but that's one yeah. other way to look at this well, thing. You know,
1: and, and it's interesting, You know, going back to a joke that you make quite um, often, and I'm, I'm not saying you make it too often, guy. I'm just saying that you make it often, is that you will ask me, sometimes you'll talk about the Fed's dual mandate, and you'll say, and what is it, Dan? And I'll mm. say, uh, oh, I think you say it's to keep the NASDAQ and the S&P well bid. And so when you think about what's going on here, given the extraordinary measures that, you know, the FDIC, the Fed, um, all the kind of jawboning about the financial system and what they're willing to do to kind of keep banks afloat, it is interesting that the S&P is up three and a half percent on the year. The NASDAQ um, is up nearly 15 and a half percent. And all of this is happening. I mean, like yesterday and you and I were talking about this, it's like, who the hell is buying stocks here? Like what, you know, we just went through this a little bit and, and, you know, and I'm like the plunge protection team. Are they trying to literally keep the, the, the indices um, in check here? So that doesn't kind of in, in, incite further fear as far as investors. And, and because I don't know if they are literally buying stocks, cause I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody, and you could say this is bullish, who really thinks that buying the SP at the current valuations here, right. buying the Nasdaq, is like this is a good level. This is a good valuation. This is like given all the uncertainty that we have. I mean, like, what does that mean to you? What's
0: what is the bull case here? The bull case is that the Fed broke something and now they're gonna come back in and have everybody's back and it's you know, nothing wrong's gonna ever happen. Again. I mean, effectively there's no real, in my opinion, you can't really make a bull case on the back of earnings growth because we're not seeing it. You clearly can't make a bull case on the back of valuations because I think we're expensive. Um, can you make a bull case on the, on the back that inflation has been tamed? Not necessarily. So, I mean, if your only bull case is that, you know, the Fed's going to stop breaking things, QT is done, um, and, and that they somehow have our backs magically and nothing's going to break moving forward, I mean, that's pretty... I don't know. I mean, you're walking a pretty thin tightrope in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Well, let's look at the KBW, the bank index, the BKX here. And this is interesting. This is going back um, a few years. And you look at the level in which we kind of caught, we're trying to find a little, little home here, a little support guy. And this goes back to those kind of mid 2019 Mm -hmm. sort of lows. You see this sort of level um, where we are here. And maybe that chart doesn't mean um, a whole heck of a lot to you, but if you back it out, Um, This is a log chart going back at least 10 years here. You see that uptrend that was breached was breached in 2020. We just kind of blew through it right here. And you also look at that um, support level in and around 80 that we're holding above that right now. I mean, to me, I would just say that things are pretty precarious. And then if you just want to look at the the one name that we focused on a little bit yesterday, this was the first republic. Right. And and at the time, um, you know, this stock, I think when we were doing the show, at one o'clock, it was down and change 14.
0: I think it was Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, and it, it was it was a disaster. Well, look at this thing up fifty five percent. And I just want to, you know, when we made these charts just a little bit ago, and Stephen made it, it was up forty some percent. So it's getting a little steam here. But look at what a forty percent move looks like on that chart. And you mm-hmm. tell me that that's not something that's broken. I mean, it could go. From right here, it could go to 25 bucks. It's trading here at 18. That would be another what? 35% or something like that. Well, what does $25 do for you, right? I, I, I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm being serious. So, are these great trading vehicles? Maybe when you think about all of those halts that we had yesterday and what happens after halts, especially if there's news or something, we also saw some banks that were trading like this over the last couple of weeks where their equity went to zero. So, you tell me. Is this, is this is this anything other than gambling, if you're buying? Or well, in, in these market? banks right
0: now, I mean, I think you bring, bring up an amazing point. When you see this, when you visually see what a 40% move is higher against the backdrop of where we've been just literally, Dan, a month and a half ago. I mean, in February, this was 150. I mean, not that it matters, but just for context, traded 11 and change yesterday. It also traded, I mean, this is a stock that nobody – ever talked about. They had great commercials, I guess. Stock traded a million and a half, two million shares a day on average. In the last five or six trading sessions prior to today, you're talking about a stock that's traded 90 million shares, 140 million shares, 180 million shares. I mean, the turnover in this stock is massive. So now the base of this stock is now, to your point, it's just a trading vehicle. And can it continue higher from here? Yeah, but really the question you have to ask yourself is, has it shored things up? I mean, the $30 million that 11 banks deposited, those are now deposit. They're not investors in the bank. They're depositors. Like Amanda Diaz deposits CC's money. Like you deposit your money. Like I deposit the mean meager amount of money that I have. They are depositors. And they've, they basically said we will make a deposit for the next 120 days until effectively you get your shit together. Well, that's the bet you're making. Can they get their shit together in 120 days? Yeah, I mean,
1: listen, you know, I mean, it, I, I I, guess so. The market's saying that today, but it's important to, to kind of note that, you know, yesterday at this time, the stock was trading at the same spot. So if you think that, 50% up and down, you know what I mean? Moves in, in, in 24 hours is something that's healthy. I, You know, it's funny. I mean, it really comes down to this guy. You know, a, a lot of people will say, listen, I, I trade options, I trade ETFs, I trade some of the levered ETFs, and I'm trading. And, and you could make the argument that um, that's just gambling too, because I know nothing. I don't have any, like crystal ball. I don't know where a stock or an ETF or um, a price of something's going to close. I mean, I, I, the only thing I'll just say is that whatever you're doing and you're watching this show right now, or you're listening to this show right now, you might be an accountant, you might be a lawyer, you might be a doctor, you might be uh, working at the Home Depot, or whatever it is, you have your career, you have your profession. I mean, this is what I've been doing for 25 years. I've been staring at fact set machines. I've been kind of interpreting data. I've been doing all this sort of stuff. And I, I like to think I have an edge. I think I've done um, a, a better job at this making money than, than over a long period of mm-hmm. time. But but again, I mean, like no one knows anything. It's just kind of what we do. So if you're just kind of coming off the links, or you're kind of getting out of the conference room at whatever your thing is, and you're like, you know what, this stock's down eighty percent in you know uh, a matter of uh, three months or something like that, I'm going to buy some. Okay, well that is just that's just gambling, and and you you know what I mean like that's all it is. And I'm not telling you that my form of gambling is better than your form of gambling. I'm just telling you that this is what I do every day. You know what I mean? And so um, like that that's kind of my only point. And I'm not telling you not to buy it or whatever. I just, I had a friend who was trapped in this thing when it was halted yesterday. And every time it opened up, it gapped down another three bucks or something like that. That's not a great feeling. I know what that feels like as a professional. Okay. Like that's what, like I was charged to do in my career for a very long time Um and take, but, but actually not really encouraged to take those sorts of risks, right. When they're yeah. kind of binary.
0: And it's interesting. One of the things I said yesterday, if there's anybody new in the audience or if they weren't listening to me yesterday, which is typically what happens when I, I open say. my mouth, what the the analogy that I made is, you know, you made this same similar point about the stock market. When I said, it's not unlike the NCAA tournament where yeah. you get some crazy shit going on in the early rounds. But typically when you get to the, you know, the lead eight or final four, it pretty much comes down to chalk, you know, the odd situation notwithstanding and chalk meaning, you know, you're going to get twos and threes and one seeds in the final eight. And that's what it comes down to. So it sorts itself out in the end, the same way I think you get a lot of noise in the market in sort of the early stages of things, but it sorts itself out. Now I happen to think that the chalk or the sort out will be in the form of a sell-off. And we're just going through some of the noise here in the early rounds and we'll see but maybe you get a 12 seed in the final 4 and it screws up the apple cart. But again, that's what makes markets, Dan. Yeah,
1: listen, I, there's a lot of things that are confusing to me right now about the markets and I think the the lack of like, you know, the certainty that I think investors had where rates were going to go based on what the Fed was telling us over the last few months and the the pace in which that change dramatically over so like make no mistake about it and I think you've you've said this on many occasions over the last week, Guy. I- it is historic what has happened mm-hmm. in rates, OK, based on really not some sort of big geopolitical event or, or, or that sort of thing. OK, so it's historic. And now the level of uncertainty that has just been added into not just the markets, but also the economy. I mean, you and I and Danny Moses on On the Tape and Liz, um, as she's joined us on these market calls, we've been talking about this for over a year. Right. When the Fed in late November of 2021, right, signaled that they were basically going to do it about on their kind of inflationary view that it was transitory, we've been talking about okay, rates are going to go up more than you think. That ended up happening. Do you remember when they cut in March of 2022, which was basically, excuse me, raised for the first time mm-hmm. since 2018 in March of 2022? They did a quarter point hike, okay, and a lot of people were saying that yeah, they may do 200 basis points or something like that. No one thought they were going to do 5% or you know, get to that level. You guys were saying that if they're going to battle inflation, if they're going to gain back some credibility, they're going to have to overdo it to some degree, right? At least on the job boning and the rates. No one thought that was going to happen. So the fact that we've had this about face, so there is no way that we're just going to get out of this with the equity market. In my opinion, the S&P only closing down 20% last year, and now it's up 3.5% and it's off to the races. That's just not how this is going to resolve itself. I mean, like, like I feel – immensely confident in that i might be wrong in the near term here and i made this point the other day also is that after bear was forced in the arms of jp morgan in march of 2008 okay the s&p rallied at least 10 maybe Mm -hmm. 12 percent or something like that That hurts if you're wrong. That's how it felt in January, being wrong. It didn't feel so bad in February, but this feels ludicrous right now.
0: Yeah, no, and you know, EY from SoFi has made a similar point that you just made. Like she can't, in her mind, reconcile the fact that we're just going to get out of this effectively unscathed. And you know what she'll say is, I can't believe the not the the headline's going to be, you know, Fed raises rates five percent in the course of a year. Everything's fine. Go back to your normal. Uh, viewing habits. I mean, it just, I don't think it works that way either. And if it does work that way, then the whole system effectively that we've been brought up reading about and learning about is effectively broken. And, you know, they can just paper away all the problems we have. I just don't know how long that lasts. And speaking of Liz, uh, our Liz is EY from SoFi. Liz Ann Saunders put something out. And I think visually this tweet does, um, I, I think it does this all a service just to sort of see the correlations. And again, I want to be clear. And Lizanne Saunders is not saying this is 0809. Dan's not saying it. I'm not saying it. Yeah. We're just making the comparison. And if you look at those charts, they're the same exact chart. That's the S&P in the blue is where we went in 0809. The S&P in the orange is where we currently are now. Uh, they were spot on until obviously recently. Now, things have sort of decoupled a bit the question you have to ask yourself is is it just a matter of time before we catch up in terms of the orange as to what happened in 0809 because although it's different there are haunting similarities Dan Nathan
1: yeah I mean listen and there are and 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 let's just like like kind of take a step back for a second here okay me thinking that the S&P is going to go back at least to its October lows I felt that before we had this kind of banking calamity over the last weeks okay and that had to do with value we've talked about all the reasons for that okay so now at this point i'm not rooting for the banking system to go down okay what i'm rooting for is investors to show at least a little fear broader than the regional banks in which, you know what I mean? Like this has kind of been the epicenter from, and we have seen some of the major U.S. money centers. um, We've seen them come in kind of hard. They massively outperformed off the October lows. So that's kind of how I'm positioned, at least in the XLF here. I just don't, and I said this yesterday, I just don't believe that, you know, the major money center banks and some of the larger investment banks are not deemed to be, um, uh, you know, regionals. They're they're not going to have some of the same issues. They might be, Um, Like much smaller as a percentage of assets and and, and the the whole like here. And then when you think of the ratios and everything like that. But I think the the recognition of those sorts of losses existing, the lesson from 08 is that once you start kind of talking about, oh, we could have done a better job. Yes, we had losses here, but now they're contained. You know what I mean? They're, They're not a problem anymore. That's not how it played out in 08. I mean, like, like, like they just kept on getting worse. It was death by a thousand cuts. And when you think about the opposite end of what's gone on here, is like back then it was leverage, it was credit. Now it's duration, right? And it's mismatch of durations and interest rate risk. Well, on the other side of that could be something from the credit standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, and so that's why I'm just saying it makes sense to be prudent. So I'm looking at this XLF chart right here. Okay, guy, and you talk to me. If you didn't know what it is, you didn't know there's a crisis here, or whatever, and you had a like like a plausible reason why it just sold off back near those October lows, um, and I think this is uh, the XLF here. You might say, okay, I'll take a shot. I'll stop it at those lows that we had from like in the fall or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a fine way to trade. I-, I got no problem with that. This is an ETF. You don't have the idiosyncratic risk. There's not one name that's more than fifteen percent of the way to that. You know, the, it's just all. of correlations go to one in the space, like that thing's going to flush lower, but it's not likely to gap down. 10% or 15%, you know what I mean? Like you might get a 4 or 5% gap or something like that. So the risk there, uh, the risk reward of taking a shot if you're inclined to do that, fantastic, okay? Like, so I guess what I'm saying is is like, is it a great press right here? My final trade on on, on options that are in Fast Money last night was to say to sell the banks. What I really should have said is sell them on a, on, on a rally, okay? Like, like they're rallying right here and they're gonna continue to rally probably into tomorrow's thing and I'll continue to lay into them. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, if the Fed goes takes extraordinary measures if jay Powell says all this stuff and we're going to do whatever it takes if he does a Draghi. remember back in 2012 mm-hmm. or something like that? then they're going to scream then they're going to scream that doesn't mean it's over it means that my short trade and my view is really wrong in the near term and i'll fess up to it
0: you know what else is going to scream i mean i know we have a gold chart here um so if we could pull up that gold chart and again, it's a CME day. I mean, that's what's going to scream as well. Now, obviously, gold's doing a bit of a back and fill today. We actually spoke to that yesterday, yeah, saying how it's probably got a little bit ahead of itself. You probably see a bit of a back and fill. And that's what you're seeing here today. But I don't think this trade is over. And if that's the outcome that happens tomorrow, and again, neither one of us have an idea, but if that's an outcome, one of the unintended consequences is going to be this, you know, this commodity trade, I think, is going to re accelerate. To the upside. So again, you know, they can fix things, but when they fix one thing, they break something else. And that's just good. That cycle will continue. And again, if they go extraordinarily dovish here, yeah, the market might like that, but they're going to be other risk assets that are going to like it as well. The question is, you got to figure out what those risk assets are. And I happen to think gold's going to be one of them, Dan.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting looking at this chart, I'm looking at the, the futures trading at 1944 or so guy. And um, I think that you were calling when we just got above, I think that 1850 sort of level, this was maybe a couple of weeks ago. You thought we were going to see um, new highs, um, you know, and that kind of matched high from last April was just below 2000. That was a number. I think I lost a bet to Danny Moses. Didn't it kiss 2000 um, mm-hmm. last year? And I said, not happening, but, Um, You know, the back and fill that you and Carter kind of thought you could have, like, look at that number. It's probably just below 1900, right? You see that rising 50-day. Well, we don't have it here, but we have the 200-day. The rising 50-day is about 1884, guy. That might be a great level to kind of get back in. And then you'd be targeting a move um, back above 2000. If you want to pull this out, if they can do this on a five-year or a 10-year basis, um, that level, the highs in 2020, right, during the COVID sort of era – um, you know, was above that high from a year ago. So you have, I think, like what looks like almost like a cup and handle sort of formation that could be forming. But I guess, Guy, this goes back to the situation. You would need some major financial and economic calamity for this thing to have a meaningful breakout above 2000. Is that fair? And again, we're not rooting for that. Let's Listen, I don't think that we are near like something that's going to turn into the summer of 08 into 09. Okay. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen, but I think that with a VIX at 22, right. And the gold just in this range that it's been in for three years, it just doesn't make me feel like there's any fear in the market right here.
0: Yeah. Well, let it's, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because as Amanda's pointing out, James Lundgren has a question or he has a comment then a question. So if we could pull it up for everybody to see great discussion, guys question. How can it be so quiet out there with the VIX down two and a half handles on the eve of such a critical decision catalyst, effectively just a day away? And I'll take a stab at this, Dan. I know you have thoughts as well. You know, I think one of the things that happened, I think everybody loaded up everybody. I mean, market participants loaded up on puts, got long vol and the back end of the Silicon Valley, all sort of the nonsense we saw a couple of weeks ago in anticipation of what wound up happening. Of course, the problem for them was it didn't last all that long. And when you had over that weekend, you know, effectively the Fed came in, backstopped the situation, and then subsequently had these 11 banks come in with First Republic. The outcome that was probably inevitable got thwarted by those actions. And then people that were caught long volatility obviously had to sort of backtrack and get out of it. And I think that's what you're seeing now. Now, the question is, I think embedded in James's comments and question is, are they zigging when they should be zagging? And, you know, maybe people should be getting long vol here ahead of what's going to transpire in the next day or so.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting. You know, this goes back to, like, when you're trading these sorts of kind of volatile markets and you're, you're kind of trying to be a little bit contrarian, which is definitely um, what I'm doing here. You know, I, I want to make one other point on, on the trading front. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, you and I, when we talk about trading – futures and the ability to use stops makes a lot of sense. I mean, stops is one really important risk management tool the other one is sizing right mm-hmm. you'll know, hear this like so sizing is really important when you think about that and just kind of calculating what you know a one or two percent move against you kind of means and then you kind of have to size that relative to your portfolio and then the other point is just diversification right so like 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 right now you know me with uh, a spy short a qqq short and an xlf short like those are probably fairly well oh, the spy and the xlf are probably fairly well cor- correlated the x uh, the QQQ um less so but it's all like the same trade right so that's like showing a high concentration it's like not likely that one of those is going to fall out of bed and the other two are going to remain you know kind of bid that sort of thing or vice versa so um you know i I, sometimes in periods like this i don't always listen to um the, the the really sound trading principles but um sizing is a really important one because the last thing you want to do is wake up and have a situation where you're just on the wrong side of like a kind of what what do you call it a uh you know just one of those kind of once in a yeah five a year t- tsunamis
0: to- Tsunami. you know you t- today is a cme day for market calls our cme group is also a sponsor of our podcast but they also have a twitter account which if you're not following you should And they put out a tweet earlier today, Dan, and we have a subsequent uh, chart on the side of it. And if you look, traders of all sizes are accessing the crude oil market through micro WTI options. And this is new daily volume record. So you have to ask yourself, what are these people betting on? Now, I think this is fascinating when you see, obviously, uh, crude oil trading at the lowest levels we've seen in quite some time. I think it traded 65 bucks the other day. Yet you're seeing record volume in options. Um, something to think about here, Dan, Nathan. And just bring it up uh just for again, visually, I think it does wonders to see, you know, what exactly is going on there.
1: Yeah, I think that breakdown level at 70 was Kind of interesting, uh, you know, it's something that, um, you know, it was kind of a bit of a panic low into the end of last year. That was, I think, just risk assets across the board were getting sold. I think there was like not particularly great enthusiasm about the global growth trade. You know, I, it's funny that we spent so much time in January talking about China's about face on their zero COVID policy, right? And what that meant for. It's interesting, Guy, that some of the narratives that I'm starting to hear a little bit about, you um, Crude oil in general and China demand for it—it's kind of being pushed out to the back half of this year again. And you know, my old—you know—I i, I kind of the back half loaded thing. You know what I mean? Is always um, a bit goofy to me. So let's see if it can get back above seventy. Let's see if it can kind of hold those sorts of levels here. Um, but I think crude is probably a pretty decent indication of expectations um, for global growth. And you've also been saying this. I don't know if we have a ten-year yield chart um, that we could throw up too. we were t- talking about the volatility in it you know you know your premise has been that this is going to be more reflective of you know future expected Mm -hmm. growth and i think that the reason that yields came in we know why um but all of those reasons are going to be something that i think are going to be headwinds to to u.s growth here which is also what crude oil um is telling us so again is this an important level to you it's kind of sitting on that 200-day moving average that 200-day moving average early this year was a double bottom level for the 10-year um in, important or not to you guys
0: no it's a you know what i take away this is as i've said a hundred times and you said earlier it's just the the level of volatility we're seeing in the bond market that obviously hasn't manifested itself in the equity markets but you know we had a chart we have moved chart up last week when you were yep. gone we we talked about basically implied vol being at levels we haven't seen in decades in, 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 in um, the bond market as well. It's really staggering. So as an absolute level, I mean, I guess it's meaningful because here we are at the moving average. Um, so yeah, this is sort of the battleground. But in terms of where it goes, and I'll say this again, in my opinion, neither outcome from this level is good for stocks if rates go precipitously lower it means something's breaking again, yeah. And if rates start going back higher, it just creates a headwind that everybody was fearing in the first place. So it's it, you know, this is one of those heads heads you win, tails you lose type of thing in reverse,
1: yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I it, it seems like we're in a period and and I kind of want to sit on my hands a little bit. I kind of made some. Bearish bets here, and let's see what happens with the Fed um, tomorrow. I think it is worth noting, guy. I'm looking at my main fact set screen. I got hundreds of tickers up here. The XLU, right, the the ETF that tracks utilities, is down nearly three percent. Um, you look at Staples, is down uh, earlier about one percent here. Um, you look at the IYR, it's down one percent. Um, you know when you Walmart, you know Target, some of these kind of you know you know more deemed to be defensives to retailers it's just risk on right now Mm -hmm. and so that sort of you know about face is from a sentiment standpoint in front of an event where we know we've had some huge moves in around fed meetings over the last you know a couple years or so it just seems really odd to me and just the lack of fear uh, of market participants given the uncertainty that we have for the global economy for the u.s economy um, given valuation levels here in the markets that's kind of disturbing you know and um, i you know there was Somebody I can't remember who I was just reading this from. They're talking about like, oh, Marco Klonovic over at JP Morgan said that we could be in for a Minsky moment. Okay, and that's just a, a dramatic shift in sentiment and and really a, a dramatic um, price move lower in stocks. And and again, you know. We have a little cushion here. I mean, the NASDAQ's up 15%, right? The SB's up, you know, three and a half percent in the year. Or so um, I think a little fear back in this market would be something um, appropriate. Last thing, which is showing no fear, or maybe it is showing fear, just let's pull up the Bitcoin futures That's here. Right. Um, yeah. So t- so talk so talk to me. Listen, you know, you and I, we've talked about this ad nauseum, okay. Um Last year, when we had inflation readings at forty-year highs, right, one of the pillars of the bull case for Bitcoin was it, it was a great inflation hedge. Well, it wasn't, right? It went from like seventy thousand down to like you know fifteen thousand or something. So now, when we have this banking calamity, right, and you have all these doomers on Twitter and all these people who hate fiat currencies and all this sort of stuff, they're saying like this is the moment. There's this guy Balaji Srinivasan who's been a huge um, Bitcoin evangelist. He's also calling for the down, uh, the, the end of nation states, the end of fiat currencies. He's made some bet where he's willing to put a million dollars in escrow um, that, that, Literally, that Bitcoin's going to go. I think to a million dollars in ninety days. Okay, just you know, guys, it's trading at twenty eight thousand. I mean, rather than buying a million dollars of Bitcoin at twenty eight thousand and being right and being able to just even if it doubles, um, that just seems like a goofy sort of thing. Thoughts here on what Bitcoin means to you? This little rally, because literally about a week and a half ago, it looks like it was headed back to ten thousand.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've made the comments I have made have not been as sort of, uh, I guess, out there as the gentleman that you speak of. But what I've said for literally years is Bitcoin to me is a bet against central banks. And when central banks were flooding flooding their respective countries with liquidity and and lowering rates, it was no surprise that Bitcoin went to 66000 By the way, go back and look at what was going on globally at that time. And then when our Fed got religion in November of 2021- that's when Bitcoin topped out. Obviously, as the Fed continued to raise rates, Bitcoin continued to go down. That was not puzzling to me at all. It actually made a lot of sense. So, this move effectively from 17,000 to 28,000 is Bitcoin's calling bullshit on this Federal Reserve and Central Bank saying, You guys had your day in the sun. You broke something. You're not going to be able to continue down this path. It's party on. And maybe Bitcoin's right here. I mean, maybe that's effectively what's going on. But all Bitcoin is to me, and I've said this repeatedly, is a play against central banks. And right now, Bitcoin is saying the central banks are losing.
1: Yeah, but you know, I'm just going to take you real quick, then I know we got to get out of here, guy. Um, you know, Doug Cass. We quote Doug all the time. We chat with Doug. Uh, RealMoney.com had a great um, piece out on on that website and in his mailing list about the Fed in general. And I think you probably would agree with it. It was titled "They Know Nothing." I think he's were. are yeah. uh, re- re- referring to Jim Cramer back in 07. And, and, and you know what's really important about this? I mean, Jim gets tagged for a lot of stuff, but this was August of 07. OK, when when Kramer, remember, we went on with Aaron Burnett and, and he had that tirade about they know nothing. And think about that. I mean, like that was like seven, eight months before bear failed and and before, you know, more than a year before the calamity that unfolded that summer in 08 and into the fall. And, you know, I think the Fed has revealed himself, and this is not me. Rant, we don't have to get into a rant right here. I mean, they are about as confused as any market participant is right now. And And if they are as confused, make no mistake about it, that all these guys. And they are all guys. Well, maybe the Citibank gal um, that, that are CEOs of these huge banks. They have no freaking clue right now either. OK, so like if you're looking for the confidence in your, your regulators, in your, um, you know, your bank CEOs in this center, they, they know. I mean, listen, they have more information. The decisions that they make on those information, they have demonstrated time and time again to make bad decisions, many bad decisions. Right. So like, I, I guess like, and you can sit here and you can call, I'm getting a little fired up. You can call me out for having a little tirade about the banks last night and having up my ass today and this, and that or whatever, but I'm here, man. And I'm talking about them every day. Right. It's timestamped. Uh, these clowns uh, for the most part, and many of them are clowns. I mean, think about how many of these banks have literally gone to zero. And so I just make the point about first Republic. And again, I've heard this again and again, and I said this yesterday fine banking institution great product great services great people who work there or whatever but who the hell knows whether this thing's a donut or whether it's going back to 100 bucks you know what i mean i don't know and so and i'm going to tell you who knows least of all are the people running first That's republic right.
0: bank so well and steve eisman said it, and we're going to get out of here folks and thanks for being with us he said it last week on fast money if the fed is scared you should be, too. And I, I, I could not agree with him more. And it's wise, sage words. And, in the, and he effectively said, in this environment, there's no reason to be a hero. And I would agree with that. So that's it for today, Dan. I like that little yeah. mini rot you went on. You, you channeled yeah. your inner Danny Moses. Yeah. I want to thank, obviously, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Amanda is back jacob's there rafis is there thank you our audience we had a lot of comments sorry we don't able to get to a few of them we will be back tomorrow which is i think tomorrow's wednesday uh we're gonna give carter braxton worth the day off folks he was a well-deserved day off but yeah. it's either gonna be me and dan or maybe we'll bring in a um surprise guest we shall see regardless we'll see you tomorrow guys right, see you later thanks